0: As I'm providing commentary on War and Peace chronologically, every few chapters I'm going to throw in an episode on the second epilogue to War and Peace. This will in no way spoil the story if you're nowhere near finishing the book. The second epilogue is a presentation of Tolstoy's philosophy which underlies the entire book. This particular episode will be an introduction to that epilogue. The first epilogue deals with the characters of the story, fictional characters, and how their fictional lives resolve. The second epilogue, as I referenced, is both philosophical and metaphysical. The second epilogue gives a framework to the entire story. It's not exactly short either. The second epilogue has 12 chapters. This last portion of the book is often critiqued as quite confusing. It's interesting how the first more than 1,000 pages has characters that people can timelessly relate to playing out the philosophies explored in this most deep of appendixes. Readers who don't know the second epilogue is coming often get to it and are like, what in the world is this? It superficially seems completely different from what they were reading when it is quite analogous. Tolstoy tries to take on the enigmatic subject of the nature of history. He takes on the notion that history is made or developed by certain great men, such as Napoleon, as opposed to countless small factors. Aside from the influence and contributions of man to history, Tolstoy acknowledges God or the Almighty as the ultimate mover of historical events. On a lower level, Tolstoy examines in this epilogue the relationship of people to their majestically regarded rulers, whether they are regal, thought to be appointed by the influence of a higher power, or whether they rose by their own bootstraps, so to speak, like a Napoleon. This book, in a sense, can be compared to the book of Job, where one of the conclusions of that ancient Hebrew book is that there are mysteries of life which we will never truly understand, no matter how hard and how seriously we academically search for answers. In this epilogue, Tolstoy ultimately concludes that the reasons for very big events, such as wars or the forming or dissolution of empires, can't really be pinned down. A lot is left to the mysteries of life and nature. So one of the lessons of both the Book of Job and the second epilogue is not to have the arrogance to think you have it all figured out in terms of the reasons for grand events Tolstoy in the epilogue explicitly spells out his presumption that there is a higher power that is omnibeneficent or all good. Even so, man is put through trials and tribulations that test him, which can make many question that presupposition. But Tolstoy tries to tackle epic events And he sets about proving how they're more complicated than being able to pin down to a simple answer, such as, one person decided, and then the French army invaded Russia. Tolstoy understands that man will always do his best to reason, but it will be a challenge to figure out why war comes to us at intervals, and peace comes to us at intervals. Perhaps it has something to do with the Jungian concept of the duality of man, the inner battle of light and darkness, and the separate hemispheres of the brain. Think about the title of the book for just a second, and if it was the author's intention to demonstrate something like how war and peace, two diametrically opposed opposites, could exist in the world we all can see, and also the world within us, simultaneously. There's both war and peace as a part of our makeup. Taking two things that seem so opposite and making them a starting point or a basis for a storyline has worked for more contemporary writers, too, like George R.R. Martin, who bases his Game of Thrones on a battle between fire and ice, two opposites that are within us all in the same way. I want to get back to briefly Tolstoy spelling out explicitly his belief In a higher power that is all-good. The words Tolstoy uses in his epilogue are, Man is the creation of an all-powerful, all-good, and all-seeing God. This is the belief, I would contend, that drove the entire novel. In laying out this belief, Tolstoy is advising to try to find answers, not by looking to man and his pattern of irrationality, but to what transcends man. Tolstoy is acknowledging God is the highest power and to try to understand anything, we'd be best suited trying to examine our relationship to him. This is something of a critique of the Enlightenment ideals authors at the time that Tolstoy was writing were exposed to. The Enlightenment was characterized by a period where scientific views began to overtake religious views. Tolstoy's epic novel takes on the problem of conflict and suffering in the world, something more akin to the way the Hebrew book of Job did thousands of years ago whereas Job found that God is the ultimate cause for all the lessons to be learnt relating to life's mysteries, something in Tolstoy's understanding of Christianity led him to the same conclusion. It was Tolstoy's searching for meaning in these grand events involving Napoleon's invasion with his Grand Armée against the forces of what became a United Russian Empire That led Tolstoy to conclude you better not search for answers from looking at the motivations and habits and conduct of men and their leaders, but you're better off looking to God to at least get a tinge of the truth, as the journey when you look to God will be more ennobling. The effort in search for truth when there is faith in God is something that Tolstoy exalts. And through Tolstoy's personal search, he happened to create what is regarded in many circles as the greatest novel that man has ever produced. And if you don't believe it's the greatest, it's always, at least in the conversation. Given its height at an apex of what humanity can achieve, many have argued that it could only be divinely inspired. Tolstoy even references that in his age, there has been a focus on theology that has been lost. He regrets this loss. He argues that no matter how hard man tries, they're not going to be able to pinpoint the reasons why decisions led to the Napoleonic Wars, or which led to the riots during the French Revolution, or which led the kings to make decisions which led to general discontent which led to the revolution. These are so varied and indeterminate that those who seek understanding are better off looking within to something that they could wrap their minds around. The struggle or battle within each of us look at the individual choices one makes and why in consideration of the free will that God granted. These stand as symbols of for the great conflicts of the ages that people find themselves in. Tolstoy is arguing we're all connected in some degree as we often had very similar motivations and when working together these pull the world and world events into a particular direction. Still, don't lose sight of yourself, your own decision making and let the war overtake your own sense of peace. Because surely if you can do that and if you care enough to be introspective about trying to keep yourself on a right path, you could see how others could veer off in great numbers and how societies and nations can go down very treacherous roads. Ultimately, man and his decisions, which he is free to make by the grace of God, are the explanations for man-made calamities. One of the great paradoxes is that even with free will and everybody making their own decisions, it ultimately leads to the playing out of God's will. Which, good luck trying to break down or understand, but which such thinkers like Tolstoy regard as all-wise and all-good. It is messy and complicated to sort out, and Tolstoy even takes on the concept of freedom in terms of free will, going into how it isn't what we think it is. What do we mean by freedom? Don't all of us have our freedom limited by circumstances? Do we want to be free to do something or free from something? like tyranny or abject poverty, when we have a family and traditional responsibilities that automatically limits one's freedom in a sense. These are mysteries of the ages that Tolstoy will explore throughout the 12 chapters of his second epilogue. Tolstoy takes on unanswerable questions And I would posit that the exposition of his piece is modeled on the book of the Bible I referenced before, the book of Job, which has 40 chapters of poetry. It's an attempt to deal with mysteries that can never truly be solved, but will still ennoble the seeker. In addition to Job, which deals with the issue of undeserved suffering, Tolstoy's book was also likely influenced by the book of Kohelet, or Ecclesiastes, During Tolstoy's fictional yet very poignant depiction of the historical Battle of Austerlitz, we have one of the main characters, Prince Andrei Belkonsky, experiencing the nature of war. He looks in front of him, to the back, to each side, and there is chaos and destruction reigning around him. Men running this way and that way, through the dust and the smoke, death being distributed on a grand scale between people who, if they met in other circumstances, would treat each other as brothers, many of whom would find themselves attending the same religious services and imparting the same lessons to their children. But here on earth, they are killing each other. Prince Andre's view at one point changes. Instead of looking at the action, circumstances get him to the point where he's lying face up from the battlefield. He sees the peaceful heavens above. The sky is blue and some clouds are moving. It's a scene we all could see at numerous times a day if we ever took a moment to just look up instead of being distracted by what's around us. There's a definite contrast between what man can produce even though In many respects, the battle lines and the organization of the armies is quite impressive. Still, what people can accomplish and reason out is nothing compared to what God has created in our natural surroundings, which we often ignore because we're too busy distracted by one another. Tolstoy, through Prince Andri, puts it like this, as the character looks up, away from the turmoil and into the infinite, it's all vanity. It's all an illusion, except for that infinite sky. It's one of the most famous quotations in the book, and it's very rich if you appreciate it in context after all the build-up, namely the slow effort to get Prince Andre to that battlefield and make you care about the war and the people involved. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 reads, from which this quotation was obviously drawn, "'Vanity of vanities,' said the preacher. "'All is vanity.'" And it goes on to verses that, even if you don't read the Bible, you have probably heard in some form. One generation passeth, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also riseth, and the sun goeth down. This subset of verses has been the source of so much of our great art. This pivotal passage in War and Peace, the Hemingway novel, Sun Also Ariseth, and countless songs, including the bird's classic, Turn, Turn, Turn. So now to come in the following 12 episodes is an experiment. Each episode will take on one of the 12 chapters of the epilogue, with the goal being each amounting to about 10 minutes apiece. Sorry for this lengthy introduction. But with the grand questions that Tolstoy takes on, as if he's doing his own commentary on the wisdom books of the Bible, I could see the discussions getting longer than the goal, and the ultimate result will be that there are some mysteries in this world, which will remain so. But through exploring them, we may at least understand a little better how to define and deal with the mystery itself. Or in more simple terms, second epilogue should provide some insight into why the conflict of the previous twelve to 1,400 pages has proven so timeless.